Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here this morning at C4, whether in Ajax or Bowmanville or Port Perry or even online or somewhere else in the world. Welcome and welcome to this amazing new series on spiritual gifts. I was sitting in a hospital cafeteria early in the morning, seven plus years ago. My wife was recovering from a C-section as our third child had just been born. And it was there I started to write a sermon series called Spiritual Gifts and Joy. I had no clue that that exhausting moment early in the morning would be the beginning of one of the most impactful and powerful God moments, not only in my own life, but also in our church. A few months later, C4 was no longer the same church. The Holy Spirit came in great power. New life began to spring up across all generations of our church, and we have never looked back since. And so it is time, once again, to come back to this topic. And why do this series now and do it all over again? Simple. Since we believe with all our hearts that spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of power to serve from, we need once again to build that common understanding and that common script among all of us that make up C4 now in this moment and this season. As we step out together, we all need to either discover, rediscover, we all need to rededicate, and we all need to walk in a power that is not our own to do the impossible in the context we now find ourselves, not only just personally or as families, but as a whole church. And thousands of people, literally thousands of people, have joined us over the last eight years. So this series is critical in our next steps together. Now, there are five simple phrases we use to help define discipleship here at C4 and help us understand what a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like. Celebrate big and connect small and walk with Jesus and share the work and engage in mission. Now, share the work is the key dimension where we talk about the act of Christian serving. And here's a phrase we've used for years in this church. At C4, we believe every Christ follower is called to impact those around them through loving, joy-filled, gift-based service. Listen to that again. Loving, joyful, gift-based service. We know that when we give God glory, we as Christians experience happiness, no, joy, yes. We know that when we work in the areas God has gifted us, we also will experience powerful joy, and we know purpose is given when we serve in our God-given assignments. Yet, wonder if you actually don't know what your spiritual gifts are, or wonder if you've never been able to identify them, or wonder if you've never been able to learn about them from other people that have the same gift, or maybe you were with us eight years ago and you still are trying to wrestle this down. And what about the ongoing problem that never disappears in our community? That we as a church are so diverse, we have so many different understanding of the spiritual gifts, or we use different names for spiritual gifts, and we don't even know how to classify experience. I've used this example for years. Let me work it out this way. Uh, imagine on a Sunday morning, I preach a really good message. Everyone laughed, everyone cried. Five people became Christians. It was theologically correct. Everything was right. Now, the more conservative Baptistic person in our community will come up to me after that service, usually with an ESC Bible, because that's the true one, and they'll come, and what will they say to me? They'll say, John, well, they'll call me usually Pastor John. They'll say, that was a good word. It was a good word. And then they'll walk out. 
Two, four, six, ten minutes later, someone who's more charismatically inclined walks up to me talking about the same moment and goes, oh my goodness, Pastor John, so anointed. There was all this stuff, this aura around you, should have bought a Kia, bought a Honda instead. Like all this stuff takes place. Now, if I put those two people in the same room and ask them to talk to each other, they would not even know they're speaking about the same experience. And this is why we need to address all of this head on. The goal, again, for this church is to have a common script where we have a common understanding of gifts and experiences that we start actually using our spiritual gifts, that we're actually all growing in our spiritual gifts. We experience the joy that comes from honoring God and serving others and knowing our part and our purpose in our life that will ripple into eternity because this is God-given assignment. So first... All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in our view, are available for today. They're vital for the mission of the church. They are to be earnestly desired and also practiced. So that leads us to ask, well, what are all the gifts and what do they look like? Not only in the Bible, how do they look in our own community? What does this mean for me personally? And how does this define the church in private settings and in public settings? So let's all start with this. What's the difference between a natural gift, an acquired gift, and a spiritual gift. See, many of you were born athletic. You can see from my body type, I was not given such gifts. Some of you were. This is in your DNA. This is natural. Others of you have worked really hard at certain things, and you've learned them. Uh, Bobby Clinton, years ago at a seminary called Fuller, said natural abilities or talents are given by God through creation. They're in the DNA. Acquired skills, you can get them through training, education, and experiences. But the great problem we have in many churches is we confuse natural gifts and acquired gifts with spiritual gifts, but they're actually not the same things. One person defines spiritual gifts simply like this. They're not natural talents, but they're divine given abilities that enable us to do ministry. Now, again, like I just said, many of us confuse natural or acquired skills with spiritual gifts. Now, of course, all three categories are God-given they all can be used not only to live a good life or a wonderful life, and they all even can be used to do ministry, but don't confuse the three. Spiritual gifts are fundamentally different. Here's how Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And all of these are the work of the one and same Holy Spirit, and he, the Holy Spirit, distributes them to each one of us just as, notice this, he determines so lesson one is we get going to rediscover or discover spiritual gifts. We don't get to choose what gifts we get. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually does the choosing. He sovereignly assigns the part we all get to play. The gifts are not like some large buffet. Well, I want to be a leader today, and tomorrow I think I want a sprinkling of tongues, and the next day I think I'll try out mercy, and next week I think I'm going to try some discernment, and then I'm going to administrate. No, 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 no. That's not how this goes down. The gifts are sovereignly given, and they are supernatural in orientation. Now, to clarify this, we all need to start in one place. We need to start with Jesus. I've said this many times before in different ways. Let me say it again. When I was in junior high, I was really dedicated to Jesus, really excited, had got baptized, even knew I was called into ministry. And I went to my youth pastor, and I said to him, where is all the stuff and he said, John, what do you mean? I said, I, I want to see the amazing things in the Bible. You know, like the miracles and walking on water and casting out demons. And Jesus did all this amazing stuff. And I love our church and I see some good things here, but where's all that stuff too? And he sat me down and he said these words to me. He said, John, Jesus was God. 
and you're not God. So Jesus did things that you're never going to do. So you need to adjust your expectations. Now, pastorally, he was trying to make sure that I didn't shipwreck my faith. The intent was right, but the answer he gave me was actually really wrong. There are two key passages that help us begin to understand Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, gifts in this church and all churches. Jesus says two very radical, shocking things in the book of John. Here's the first one. John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, by the way, anytime Jesus says very truly, lean in. I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And then later, John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, anyone, not just the apostles, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will even do greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So Jesus says... I do nothing except what I see God the Father doing. I only do what the Father tells me to do. So I asked some questions like, well, how did Jesus hear what he was called to do? Even more, how did Jesus see what the Father was up to? And why in the world, this is what struck me, why in the world would Jesus even say things like this? Because Jesus is equal with the Father because he's the second person of the Trinity and he's God. And then I just read, even something more shocking, Jesus says to his followers, broken, everyday people like us, oh, by the way, you're going to be doing the same things I'm doing and even greater. So what in the world does that mean? So to understand the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit and its direct implications on renewal and revival and spiritual gifts in a normal Christian life, you can never start with the gifts and you can never start with the Holy Spirit. You always must start with the Father in Jesus. So let me again, for uh, uh, the 20th time, re-preach this little section, because this is the grounding for us to get to the gift conversation. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, there's this famous hymn, this famous song that's inserted, and it starts in Philippians 2.6. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, let me say this again. Being in the very nature of God, these five words are groundbreaking. And don't forget, the guy who's writing them is an Orthodox Jewish man. Paul here starts by saying that Jesus existed before he was born. One. This is Jesus in his pre-existence. And he declares that Jesus is the form, is the nature, has the DNA of God. Well, you cannot have the DNA of God and not be God, for there's only one being in all of creation that has the DNA of God, God himself. So this is groundbreaking. This is not saying, well, Jesus is sort of like God or he's the son of God, but really not equal with God. He's saying that Jesus from Nazareth, born 2,000 years ago, who walked around for 33 years, is our creator in flesh. Wow. Now, within the same breath, then he does this. And yet, that person, Jesus, did not consider equality with God the Father something to be grasped. It feels like contradiction. But this is critical to understanding Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the invitation to walk in his power. This is saying that Jesus, though he's fully God and never stopped being God, chose not to grasp to be selfish, to hold on to the privilege of who he always was. He never stopped being God. He never evolved into something else. He chose not to seize or take advantage 
of his godness. Eugene Peterson put it this way in his translation, the message, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So here's the question, well, how did Jesus do that? Well, the song gives us this answer. Verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness, and being found as an, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So God takes on flesh, the incarnation, what we all celebrate at Christmas, lives a perfect life, did amazing ministry. He taught, he loved, he healed, he broke all these barriers. He delivered people from the evil one. And more, he walked with the Father without conflict. He dies a death we all deserve. And then he physically comes back from the dead and overcomes the grave. And the point Paul is making here is his life was marked by profound servanthood and humility, even though he was equal with the Father. Verse 9 says, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. And we all said together, what? Amen. Right. Now notice, you have the full picture of Jesus, his preexistence, his incarnation, his life, his death on the cross, his ascension to heaven, his forever exaltation. But... To understand the Holy Spirit's role in the life of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's role in your life, my life, and our church's life, and the role of gifts and how this all fits, you must ask the question, between Christmas and Easter, what did it mean for Jesus not to cling to the advantages of being God himself? In other words, how did he remain God and yet not use his godness? How did he turn the divine tap off, but the well was still there? And the answer is, when you look at Jesus' baptism. So you got a Bible, would you just turn quickly over to Luke 3.21? When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So the Spirit descends on Jesus out of the torn heavens. Now, this again should make all sorts of connections for us when you look at the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The second verse in the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was hovering like a bird over the chaotic waters at creation. And then we see this reference again over the chaotic judgment waters of Noah. There's the symbol of the dove. Then later, in the time of Moses, it says that the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, he, he filled or overshadowed the tabernacle. Then in the time of Solomon, it says that the Holy Spirit's very presence filled the temple. And then when you get to the Christmas story, it says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary so Jesus could come into the world. And now we see that the Holy Spirit is filling or overshadowing Jesus himself. In other words, God is doing a new creative thing, a new creation, a new exodus, a new temple, the ultimate expression of what is to come in the now, in the not yet is happening in the now. The ever unfolding story of God is seen right here. Now Jesus is given the Holy Spirit for two reasons. First we see it in the declaration, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. First of all, the Spirit of God is given to affirm the identity of Jesus. And we see God in his fullness here. You have the Father's voice, the Son of God in flesh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. We see the reality of the blessed Trinity, one God, three persons. 
But the second reason why the Holy Spirit is placed on Jesus is what matters, not just for today, but in this whole series. The Holy Spirit was given to Jesus to lead Jesus and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. So think about it. In all of Jesus' life up to this point, Jesus never healed anyone. Jesus never cast out demons. Jesus gave no new teaching, and he was not known. Only once when he was 12 was he found in the temple, and he had profound understanding of the scriptures, but no one followed him. Yet right after the Holy Spirit lightened or rests on Jesus, Jesus' ministry started, and we begin to see how Jesus walked with God and did the Father's will. You're like, well, John, how does this connect to gifts? Well, give me a moment. The third person of the Trinity empowers Jesus, who's sent by the Father. And here's the light bulb moment for us again. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, who is God, would not have been able to bring the good news or do any ministry, period. This is how Jesus chose not to grasp the power or privilege of deity between Christmas and Easter. He only did what his father wanted him to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, period. Not his power, the Spirit's power. Jesus did not do ministry out of his godness once while he was on earth. He only did it under the power of the Holy Spirit, exclusively, only, and always. Now listen to all these verses because they now make sense. Luke 4.1, Jesus now full of the Holy Spirit returned to the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. In the Mark account of this, in the original Greek, it says that the Holy Spirit pushed or forced Jesus into the desert. Verse 14 of Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him throughout the whole countryside. If you've grown up in the church, I'm sure, I'm sure you've been confused when Jesus says things like, well, I don't know when I'm returning. Only my Father knows that. And you're like, but I thought you were God. Or how does Jesus, when it says he's growing up, he grew in stature and knowledge. See, this is the point. He chose to turn the God tap off even though he remained God. So then you need to ask yourself the question, like I was in grade eight, okay, so how did Jesus do all that amazing stuff, like the Sermon on the Mount, or healings, or all, but didn't use his godness, yet still never stopped being God? And the answer is this, Jesus used spiritual gifts. He had the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus had the gift of teaching. Jesus had the gift of miracles. Jesus had the gift of healing, to name a few. So are you starting to see the connection yet? Because every Christian on earth, the Bible declares, has the same spirit. And, and then it says in the Bible that the church as a whole has the gifts of the spirit. So if Jesus had the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, and we have the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, are you seeing the connection yet? Then we can do the things Jesus did. Let me keep working this out. Every time, you'll notice this, Jesus all the time is at these epic moments, huge parties or amazing ministry moments, thousands of people, they're getting healed, amazing new teaching, and then at the most inappropriate time, Jesus says, I'm out. I'm just leaving. And they're like, where are you going? I just need to go be alone. They're like, are you an introvert? Are you okay? Like, do you need to energize? No, no. He's like, I need to go away. Now, why did he do it? Well, if you read all the context of all the moments of aloneness or solitude and silence moments with Jesus, he's always alone, he says, with his father. Why was he doing this beyond recovery? This is how Jesus begins to demonstrate something else to us. This is how Jesus heard 
and learned and saw what his father was up to, even though he wasn't using his divine abilities. He used what we call spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Here's how we've coined it in this church for years. Spiritual practices or holy habits are the guaranteed place of encountering God when walking with him. They set up and provide the environment for you to hear what you're called to do. I've used this quote for years. I love when Dallas Willard wrote so long ago, my central claim is that we become like Jesus by doing one, follow, one major thing, following Jesus in the overall style of life he chose for himself. So what activities did Jesus actually practice? Solitude, silence, prayer, simple, sacrificial living, intensive study, meditation on God's word and God's ways, and serving others. So spiritual disciplines is how we walk with God like Jesus. They're the environments where the Holy Spirit encourages us, teaches us truth, and makes us holy. And then here's the other moment, the other side of the coin. And spiritual gifts are how we actually serve like Jesus. Why? Because they are the only ongoing guaranteed place of heaven-given power to serve because they're not natural or acquired. They're given by the Holy Spirit. They're another source of energy that isn't within us. So, so as we say around here a lot, Jesus is not just our Savior, and Jesus is not just our Lord. Jesus is our model. He's the pattern for us together as church and you personally. See, remember, Paul actually calls the local church and all Christians together the body of what? Christ. We are Jesus on earth. Now, don't tweet him a heretic yet. Let me work this out. Everything that Jesus did, other than, of course, being the second person of the Trinity, speaking scriptures into existence, dying for the sins of the world, and being our eternal high priest, the things he did in ministry, we can do all together because we literally are his representatives on earth. So watch this. Our life with God the Father is just like Jesus' walk under the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how is that? Well, when you read Paul, he outlines the same trajectory that we see in Jesus' life. Here's the very first thing. When you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, I know some of you aren't, but for we who are believers, the very first thing that happened when you accepted Jesus is his Holy Spirit walked into your life. And this is what Paul calls baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are plunged into Jesus' Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all, and notice that, every Christian, all baptized by one Holy Spirit into one body, whether you're a Jew, a Greek, slave, or free, were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now, this is critical. Some of you grew up in a more Pentecostal background, and you were taught that baptism of the Spirit is a secondary deal that you need to ask for. No. This is, baptism is about entrance. It's the wedding ring analogy. It's not something you get later. Now notice, we're all baptized into one spirit. We share the same spirit Jesus had on him. We have the same relationship with the spirit Jesus had. But the difference is, we're only one part of Jesus' body. We're not the whole deal. And second, not only are we all plunged or baptized into Jesus' spirit, because he's called the spirit of Christ, by the way, in the Bible. Not only that, here's the second thing. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? In the Greek, it means be filled continually. It's an ongoing thing. Lots of the experiences, big and small, that you've had in your spiritual life that are significant, that maybe you labeled baptism of the Holy Spirit, is just a filling. And multiple fillings will happen over your life. So here's the pattern. Just like Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, we're baptized in the Spirit. Just like Jesus walked and was filled with the Spirit all the time, we're invited to the same thing. Third, we're called to produce the same character that Jesus displayed. And what does Paul call the character of Jesus? The fruit of the what? Right, the Holy Spirit. It's the impossible becoming possible. This isn't something you just muster up within yourself. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. That's agape love, perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, keep, keep in step with the Spirit. Some of you are like, man, I've tried to do that my whole life and I've had no success. Right, because you're probably trying to do it through acquiring it or naturally. Ask the Spirit of God to do something impossible in you. So we see Jesus, we got the same pattern, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, the character of the Spirit. And then fourthly, we are all called to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by using what? The gifts of the Spirit. This is how the power of God is released into a dark world. Each church will have all the gifts, yet personally, we will only have one or some. So we can never say again, well, we'll never see all that Jesus did again because he's God and we're not, and that's a different thing. No, 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 no. Just like Jesus was given the Spirit to affirm His identity and empower Him. So every one of us also is given the Holy Spirit to affirm that we are children of God and to empower us to do ministry like Christ. So let me stop and let me say this again, because remember, this is the setup conversation for 10 weeks on gifts. Jesus is our model. Jesus laid aside the privilege of deity was filled by the Spirit and did the will of the Father. So when we are baptized in the Spirit at conversion and filled again and again, and when we know our spiritual gifts and they're supported by ongoing character, the impossible starts becoming possible. Okay, let me keep building this needed foundation. Again, if you're just tracking with the Bible, just turn over to Romans 12. Now, Romans 12.3 reads like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, the measure of faith that God has given you has sort of two nuances. The first one is like a foundational one. We should be sober because of how we all receive peace with God. In other words, here's the famous saying, there is a level foot on the cross or at the cross. We are to see ourselves as God sees us and no one else. And this is best informed by our experience called salvation. Grace alone, faith alone, through Jesus alone. How could you, how could we think we're ever better than any other Christian because of money or the clothing we wear or the spiritual gifts or experiences or even natural or acquired skills we have or our maturity or your skin color, or your ethnic background, or your education, fill in the blank. If salvation is 100% God only, humility is the only place we can go with each other, one. But there's so much more going on here, because Romans 12 is a passage about, ready, spiritual gifts. And we should see ourselves, he says in this moment, not only through the gifts that have been given to us, but the different strengths or authority of those gifts. 
Do not spend your life trying to be something God did not make you to be. Okay, I'd love you to all do this. If you could all close your eyes, nothing weird's gonna happen, at least from my end. Just, just close your eyes for a moment. And what I want you to do is I want you to picture a river in your head. And, and when you've got the river in your head, just raise your hand. Would you just do that? Okay, good. All the hands should be up by now. All right. Now, open your eyes. What's on each side of the river in your mind? Banks. There are river banks. Now, here's what Paul is saying that is fundamentally against what our culture has taught us our whole life. Our culture has taught us if you are good at something or even bad at something, if you work really hard, you can always become more influential and more better, have more power behind it. And the Bible says, in this case, not true. Here's the profound lesson so many of us have missed. Even we have walked with Jesus for years. Paul not only teaches us that the spiritual gifts are sovereignly assigned, he also says that God chooses not only what gifts you get, he actually chooses how much power, to use charismatic language, how much anointing or how much influence you will get with the gifts. So you could have six people in the room, all with the spiritual gift of teaching, but some people will have a creek, some people will have a river, and some people might have an ocean of influence. God is the one who determines the gift and the power behind it. In other words, here's what we all need to do at the beginning of the series. Not only say, Holy Spirit, what are my gifts or gift, but tell me where the limits are. Tell me actually how much power you're not giving me so I don't lose joy because I have wrong expectations of what I think I'm really going to do. Do not want other gifts not given to you by the Spirit. Don't t spend your life trying to do ministry in an area that you're not gifted to in, in the long term. We all have to serve, and we'll talk about this later. We all have to serve outside of our gift area, but don't do it long term. And the reverse is also true. Do not expect others to be or become something God has not gifted them to be. You will always end up angry, bitter, and burned out and disappointed because your hopes and expectations and views on someone else are actually not heaven's views. But when we humbly walk together in the power of the Spirit, explore our gifts together, then we always end up meeting the giver of the gifts. Verse 4. So just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we, we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And Paul says, we're the actual body of Christ. None of us are the head, but we form the community. And out of this unity in Jesus, there's a diversity and sovereignly assigned gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And the expectation here, this is critical, is not for independence, not dependence. Here's the difficult thing. The call here is for interdependence. So the point is, if you want to see the kingdom of God, as we pray in the Lord's, Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to see that, if you want to see darkness push back, if you want to see all we do as a church not only have purpose or short-term impact, but ripple into eternity, if you want to speak into a de-Christian, post-Christian culture, if you want to deal with apathy and hostility, if you want to reverse the trend of churches dying and becoming museums and reflections of some past age that's never coming back, then we have to make the decision, not only here at C4, but in all churches, to start walking and making a priority of the place where it is supernatural, guaranteed, Jesus-modeled power. 
Now, we, as we're going to discover, divide the gifts into three categories here. Love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. This, again, Bobby Clinton years ago summarized it that way. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God. Word gifts tell us who God is and what His will is. They're defining gifts. And power gifts manifest the presence of God in the moment. But here's what we got, we got to all learn together. We are all called to walk in the power of the Spirit by using the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me circle back to the beginning. Why talk about this again at this church in this moment? Why is it so critical for us? Well, number one, like I shared last week, as we get ready for plan two, as we're about to move to site four, as we're about to launch into areas we've never been, growing from three to five or 6,000, this is simply critical. Spiritual gifts transcend culture, race, gender, preference, and style. This power source is not based on who had historical power. It's never based on where money is. It's not based on personality. And it is the only ongoing place of power to do ministry from. In other words, if Jesus used spiritual gifts, then we have no choice to make it central in all we do. Gifts are more important than the programs we're running. We need programs filled with gift-using people. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to us once again? One, we all have gifts, every single one of us, whether you know it, feel it or not. Learned gifts, natural gifts, and Holy Spirit spiritual given gifts. The spiritual gifts aren't based on personality or prosperity or patronage. They're based on one thing, God's sovereign choice. And let me repeat it again, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And these are the gifts of the work of the one and same Holy Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. You personally will not have all 21 gifts. You don't show up every day with an empty bag and say, fill my gift bag today. It doesn't work like that. And by the way, that's the difference between spiritual practices and spiritual gifts. Spiritual disciplines are open to all of us, but gifts are given by God and he chooses. One is about transformation and hearing and walking. The other one is exclusively about serving. Jesus models both, so we must model both also. Second, like I just shared, the gifts will not only be sovereignly given, they will have different strengths. And it's not up to us how much strength there is behind them. It actually is up to him. Can you grow in them in a lifetime? Yes, but there will be a limit that you will hit eventually. We will also only find joy when we become okay with God's voice and God's will and what he's chosen for us to do. He knows us better than ourselves. In other words, don't waste your life exploring things that you'll never get. Third, no matter who we are, all of us are called to be faithful to Jesus and know what we've been given and use them. Four, we should not be concerned about comparing ourselves with other people. It is not on God's agenda. It's a waste of valuable kingdom time. It actually ends up being the sin of coveting, and we know all coveting will burn in the end anyway. Fifth, here's the question. Do you actually know your spiritual gifts? Like, do you really know them? Do you know what is learned, uh, what, is, what you've been born with, and what you've already been given by the Spirit? Do you understand what they are? Do you have language for them? Do you have mentors that are helping you grow in it well? Here's another set of questions as we get going. Are you distracted? Are you not serving in your gifts? Some of you are like, well, I don't know my gifts, but I'm doing stuff. Great. We'll help you discover them. Here's another one. Are you running from your spiritual gifts? 
Lots of people are like, I don't want to be that person, so I'm out of here. No, 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 no. If the Holy Spirit's gifted you, you have to obey. Here's another question. Are your spiritual gifts a priority in your life? Is 80% of your ministry life, role, whether volunteer or, or paid, connected to your gifts? Notice, not 100%, say 70 or 80%, because again, we, we also have to serve and, and be disciplined. But the point is, if the majority of your serving is not in your gifts, you will burn out, you'll have lack of joy, and a lack of results will be normal. Why? Because you keep functioning in areas where the Spirit of God is not present all the time. Here's the last set of questions. Do you need to give your gifts back to God if you know them? Do you need to rededicate them to God for His glory and not your own? Do you, and I think this is actually very true for our whole church, do we need to ask now for a fresh outfilling, uh, uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, a fresh power to rest on the giftedness of this church as we get ready? So that's the beginning of the conversation. That's just the beginning. There's so much more to come. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to take a moment to pray for our our whole community, And, and here's how we'll do it. Lord, Father and Son, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that every person within the sound of my voice who is a follower of Jesus has been baptized in the Spirit. Help this church to be filled with the Spirit. Help us to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control more in this church, not less. And lastly, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you begin to show each person in our church how you've uniquely gifted them, what you've commissioned them to do. Show them the limits around the gift you've given. And would there be now a new explosion of power and character across this church? A new moment of revelation, a new moment of rededication, a new moment of humility, a new moment of giving up a new moment of walking into new things. And would this be again a central moment, not like it was eight years ago, but a new central moment where you do a new thing. Would you, Father and Son, now send the Holy Spirit across our church to begin to reveal gifts, form gifts, empower gifts, and see darkness push back. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.